You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode 46 or 88. Today our special guest is Anne Cecil Sturman and we're talking about pulse diagnosis. Hey everybody, I'm Fiona Gitchen. And I'm Claire Pyers. And today we're talking to Anne Cecil Sturman. Hi Anne, it's great to have you with us. Hi Fee, hi Claire, thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Anne Cecil Sturman is an acupuncturist, teacher, writer, artist, and musician. She's the author of Advanced Acupuncture, a clinic manual, and the art of pulse diagnosis. She travels the United States, Europe, and Australia to teach the application and methodology of the complement channels, the art of pulse diagnosis, and with her husband, Andrew, the use of food as medicine. For many years, she taught advanced clinical observation and was a senior clinic supervisor at Jeffrey Yuen School of Acupuncture in New York City. She is a longtime student of Dr. Yuen, having extensively studied acupuncture, diet, Chinese medical history, herbs, qigong, essential oils, stones, and philosophy with him across North America. Anne was the co-founder and director of the Classical Wellness Center in Manhattan, where she taught classes on advanced diagnosis and the theory and application of classical Chinese medicine. Her patients, children and adults of all ages come from all over the world working through illness or on personal cultivation. Anne's practice features the complement channels of acupuncture, the sinew, law, divergent and eight extraordinary channels and is augmented with classical Chinese dietary therapeutic guidance. She also often plays flute in the Philip Glass Ensemble, touring all over the world with Mr. Glass, playing his most difficult repertoire and paints large scale canvases depicting the physiological function of the pulse as felt by the practitioner during pulse diagnosis. Anne lives in Manhattan with her husband and two children. The Heavenly Chi podcast is produced for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi Podcast to your favorite RSS feed, iTunes, or Stitcher. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. If you really are a fan of our show, please jump on iTunes and give us a rating. So welcome to the show today, Anne. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, Claire. It's really great to be here. I can't tell you. So Anne, um, this is a a very special episode. This is our very first episode where we're going to be um, talking and chatting and eating at the same time. So Anne is here with me in my clinic in Melbourne. In Richmond. In in Richmond. And um, and we're about to have breakfast arrive any when, any moment when it comes when it comes and uh and fee's on the other side of the world in colorado in her home and uh she is going to be having a roast chicken any moment as soon as it's uh as soon as it comes out of the oven <laughs> so you'll you might hear some like <laughs> clunking noises in the background that that's just us you know being be, being, being real people right. <laughs> Being hungry, real people. It's kind of suitable that you're a musician with Philip Glass and that we're going to have this audio landscape in the background possibly while we eat. Well, well, let me just clarify that um, it's my husband's job. My husband plays with Philip Glass and has done for 26 years and when he cannot go on a tour, like four months ago, for example, then I will go and replace him. But it's, it's not my job. It's his job. Wow. I don't want 
don't want to steal his job from him on the air. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, Anne, we've, uh, we're very excited to have you here. And um, we, we were chatting a little bit before we started recording, but I'd, we'd love to start with, can you tell us what is your passion? When it comes to Chinese medicine, what is your passion? My passion, well, that's easy to answer. So my passion is acupuncture, period. And acupuncture, um, as it's described in the Ling Shu and the Su Wen, that's my passion. So my teacher, Dr. Yuan, um, has very, very vast training and, and vast teachings. Um, but my focus is on a very small part of his teachings the um the complement channels what i'm calling the complement channels so the sinew channels the low channels divergence and eight extras because um i believe well i see in my practice that with the use of all the channels of acupuncture we can treat anything without limitation and it's a tremendous gift and most of those channels fell out of use, especially since the Song Dynasty. We've seen the decline in most of those channels. And then in the Ming Dynasty, the revival of the eight extra channels. But in the last few hundred years or several hundred years, we have not seen the use, the the general use of the other channels. And so it's part of my um, my mission to to write about them and to teach them and to expand the practice of acupuncture. Because I guess that comes at a real cost, doesn't it, if people are not using the full set of, well, they're not using acupuncture as it was designed in its entirety to be used. They're really missing out on some vital functionality in, in terms of, you know, being able to treat, you know, everyone that comes in in clinic. That's exactly right. So if you have a look at Chapter 22 of the Ling Shu, it says if you want to address emotional disorders you've you have to use the low channels you don't have to but the best way in might be the low channels or if you want to treat constitutional disorders or you know disturbances to the dna or childhood diseases we really can best address them through the eight extra channels and if we're addressing chronic degenerative diseases which is my focus in my practice um, things like rheumatoid arthritis and multiple sclerosis and what have you, we might best address those through through the divergent channels. And for chronic injuries, we need to use the sinews. So the problem with using the primary channels for everything is that um, the primary channels don't give us entree into the constitution. They cannot access the constitution. And... They also, if we were to treat uh, regular injuries with this, with the primary channels, we are using a set of channels that can access both Wei Qi, defensive Qi, which flows in the sinews, but we're also at the same time accessing Yin Qi, the Qi of fluid and blood. And so if we treat injuries using the primary channels, there's a chance that we may drive that injury deeper. And so one of my pet peeves about uh, talking about <laughs> acupuncture in the public, in public, is that, um, you know, you could be standing in the supermarket line 
people don't talk in line anymore because they're always staring at their phones. But, but if you're having a conversation at a dinner table with people that you haven't met before and they ask you what you do and you say, oh, I'm an acupuncturist, and they'll say, oh, yeah, I tried acupuncture, but it really didn't work for me. That drives me crazy mm. because it means that they went to see an acupuncturist who with great intention and possibly with the most beautiful open-heartedness and and healing environment did not have the tools or did not use the tools that they needed and that should be part of a regular education um, to address that complaint effectively and correctly. And we have over 60 channels that are available to us to use. And if we choose them carefully, we can treat everything with acupuncture alone. It doesn't mean it's in conflict with herbal medicine. Herbal medicine can be a wonderful accompaniment and, and a standalone profession, but acupuncture is a standalone profession. It can be practiced in conjunction with all the other disciplines of Chinese medicine, but a clinician trained in all the channels of acupuncture can treat everything with acupuncture. Mm. That's my passion. Yeah. To get that across. So powerful. I love that. Thank you. Well, you know, it's a big responsibility because uh, I went through the school that was founded by Dr. Yuan in New York, and it was a very, very jam-packed schedule. And at, at that time, he was teaching all the classes, and it was so intense and so profound that the 11 of us in my class, we were really... We would get to break time or we'd, we would get to the end of the class every evening and every afternoon and we would say, can you believe this stuff? Can you believe it? It's just amazing. And then we started practising it in the school clinic and we would just bowled over. It blew my mind. Mm -hmm. And in the years after that, I spent, you know, I spent a long, long time, I think uh, probably 13 years on airplanes following Dr. Yuen around, often with my babies in tow, often with my husband in tow, and uh, we would go around and, and I would just listen and soak up as much as I possibly could, including Qigong and herbs and and philosophy and feng shui and facial, facial um, diagnosis and things like that, and it would be fascinating, but I would keep coming back to the acupuncture and it became clear that, that was where I was supposed to be. I was supposed to be doing acupuncture. I was supposed to be doing it and I was supposed to be writing it down. That's the big calling. And it doesn't mean that that the other disciplines are not valid to me. I just hand them over to the others around me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you do um, – let's, let's go back. I want to ask there's one question that popped up immediately when you were saying you treat with acupuncture only because one of the big – things that people talk about and there's a lot of discussion I guess mm. around is is kind of like dosage you know how often do you need to treat mm. people and 
how how long do you need to leave the needles in for and there's so many variations on what people are doing and some people just it's just in and out with the needles and other people it's in for 40 minutes mm-hmm. and some people are seeing people three times a week or every day and then other people are seeing them weekly or twice mm-hmm. you know every two weeks do you have anything to say about that and how you decide yeah. on on that well the classical texts are full of instruction about that and when you pair that instruction with the various classes of channel, you come up with very strict protocols about frequency, actually. So the sinew channels, which treat um, the free flow of Wei Qi through the musculature, through the, the connective tissue, they are treated um, three days in a row, possibly five days in a row if it's very chronic. And at the end of the third treatment, if the treatment has been performed properly, that injury should be clear. Mm. And if not, then you would see them again the next week for three days in a row and you would keep at it until it came out. And if you and if it didn't resolve, you'd have to be looking more closely at your pulse diagnosis of the underlying cause. For example, there's no point using the sinew channels to treat an injury unless you have addressed the underlying causes of perhaps there's a, a kidney yang deficiency, so Wei Qi is not able to be derived in the first place, or the um, stomach fluids are deficient, so Wei Qi comes from stomach fluids as much as it does from kidney yang. Maybe that the stomach fluids need nourishing, or perhaps there's constraint in the liver. The liver is responsible for the f- smooth flow of Wei Qi through the musculature. Maybe the liver needed to be freed up before that treatment um, was commenced. And and um, maybe the lungs are not dispersing their chi because lungs are responsible for distributing Wei Qi over the entire surface of the body. So if our treatments are failing, we need to look carefully at how we've set them up and, and analyse very carefully where our pulse diagnosis has been inadequate. The pulses will always tell you where your starting point is in treatment and it will tell you the class of channel to treat. And then getting back to frequency of treatment, if you're treating the low channels, which treat um, disorders of the blood, including um, emotional pathology, but all disorders of the blood, all um, uh, pathology in the blood, then you treat every second day for 21 days and that involves bleeding low points and the the channels that are visible are the low channels so we should be looking carefully at what we're doing. And then if we're treating the divergent channels, now here's where it gets tricky because the, the divergent channel protocol strictly speaking is three days on three days off for 21 days. However, that's really impractical in modern practice. And uh, I'll talk about how I get around that in a minute. And the, the eight extra channels need to be treated. Um, well, the protocol that I was taught, which is a basic protocol, is that you start them and then when the patient feels that the effect of the treatment is waning, you hit it again, right? But usually it ends up being something like, so if I have a patient who's asking me what to expect as far as frequency, I'll say, I need to see you once a week for the first four treatments, then every second week for the second two treatments, so twice in the second month, and then once at the end of the third month. So that would be seven treatments in the course of three months because the treatment will 
unwind. It will develop actually um, and it will last longer um, as the treatment progresses. But um, what did I say I was going to come back to? Oh, the divergent, yes. So the divergent protocol, uh, three days on, three days off for 21 days for uh, chronic degenerative diseases that we would treat with divergent channels, that's not practical. So at least in New York, it's highly impractical. Um, mm -hmm. So what I do is I treat once a week even in sinew channels, often I cannot treat more than once a week. And if I'm doing a treatment once a week, uh, just I have to make sure that the intention is very, very powerful. And that's the key to acupuncture success anyway, is the, the intention. Mm. Oh, it's just there's so much to know. <laughs> yeah. My mind is already going, oh, I need a spreadsheet for this or, yeah. Well, there's, a <laughs> there's a spreadsheet of sort in the in the in the red book, but um, it doesn't matter what we practice. Really, the important thing is that we must feel that the the treatment that we are about to embark on is exactly what that patient needs. It doesn't matter what the modality is or the, even the point selection, right, is secondary to that. And the function of, or the purpose of having access to all the channels is simply to enable the practitioner to feel more powerful in their intention. So chapter one of the Ling Shu says, hold the needle as though holding a tiger, you know, that, your intention, you know, if you imagine the amount of intention, the amount of concentration you would have to exert to hold a tiger steady, right? That's yeah. what they're talking about. That's the amount of power that the um, the writers of the classical texts um, had in mind for acupuncture, that, and that's how they were using it. They were they weren't putting a batch of um, silicon-coated needles in a patient, trying not to elicit any disturbance and then walking down the hall and, you know, surfing on their, on their phone. They weren't doing that. They were sitting there. <laughs> they were Posting on Facebook in between patients. <laughs> they weren't doing that. They were getting hand-forged iron needles, right, and they were inserting them in the patient and they were holding that needle and they were they had their intention on the chi and they were imagining where that chi would go if there were free flow of channel free flow of chi in that channel i do want to say though i mean you're actually you have the your hand on the tiger and that you and the tiger are facing the same way in other words you have the fierce determination of the tiger, but the fierce determination of the practitioner is really to open up the blockages, right, and allow the chi to move. So the intention of the practitioner is not to force the chi to move, not to drive the chi through the channel. The intention of the practitioner is to say, 
when I put the needle in this point, all blockages will dissolve and the chi that runs through this needle will flow effortlessly through the channel and enable the patient to be free. But we're not fighting anything. We're not fighting the blockages. We're, we're holding the space open for the chi to move freely. And then the blockages will just melt away. It's, it's tremendously powerful. I get heady just talking about it. You know, one of the cool yeah. that I got from reading um, your red book, which is amazing, by the way. Thank you. Was you know that you mentioned before about the the low, the low channels and the you know mm -hmm. the ones that you can actually see. And I thought, ah, oh, is that what I'm looking at when I see people who've got all of those little spider veins around mm -hmm. their ankles? And I thought, huh, okay, well I'm going to start doing something about that. And I tell you what, it's so amazing. Yes, it's so amazing. I'm possibly not doing it right, but it's still. <laughs> It's having an effect. Well, if you think you're not doing it right, let me ask you one question. Yeah. Are you bleeding the low point first? Am I bleeding the low point first? No. Ah. So there you go. I'm not doing it right. That's, that's all you need to do. Okay. Yeah. You can, if you bleed the low point first, you're telling the body that when you tap those spider veins or those low vessels, as they're called, when you tap those spider veins, the body instantly make sense of it because don't forget the the chi of the primary channels flows through the blood and the sinews mm. but the chi of the low point the chi yeah. that originates in the low point only flows through the blood mm. so when you tap a spider vein and your intention is to free a blockage that's caused by the emotions if you bleed the low point first the body says aha we this, know what you're doing yes Aha, uh -huh. this is a low channel treatment. Get ready for emotions to harmonize. And then you tap the, the spider veins and it just melts away. Got it. Mm. That's easy. I can do that. I can do that now. Yeah. <laughs> Great. That's why, that's why the protocol, that's why I wrote these protocols down. They had not been written down before. And when I was teaching at Jeffrey's school in, um, in Manhattan and I started teaching there in 2007 and uh, I had a class of 32 people and I was teaching these protocols and and they said well can you write them down for us and I said no I don't think so <laughs> and then week after week it was we really need these written down that's a where the red book came from yeah. That was six years of writing. Many down. requests of, yeah. yeah. But if you follow the protocols, you really can't make an error. I, I need to have the book mm. beside me. I did for a while. Okay. I had it beside me in clinic and then, I don't know, I don't know what happened. Someone else took it to the other room. <laughs> to get their own <laughs> up and put back on the shelf. <laughs> and, you know, that's really, um, really potently connected to what you were saying in the beginning about, you know, empowering acupuncturists to have the confidence to treat a wider variety of conditions and to treat conditions because they know the channels really well. Yeah. I'm not saying a wider variety of conditions. I'm saying I really am saying all conditions. So my teacher, Dr. Yuen, he has a saying, he says, 
There are no untreatable conditions, only untreatable people. Mm. So that's hugely powerful. So if you have a person who has faith in what you're doing, there's no limit to how much you can help them. Mm. I hear you on that. You know, (laughs) I think that's very important is just to, you know, recognise that level of receptivity and to also cultivate that with people. And I think Mm. with the complement channels, with all the channels of acupuncture, as people start practising them more, and that book is now um, a required text in all the big schools or most of the big schools in the United States. And so more and more people are practising these channels and finding that they they just can't believe the results. And now what's happening is... In the United States, we have an expanding of the population that finds acupuncture very useful. It's all courtesy of my teacher. And they are telling, they're spreading the word. They're telling their friends. They had this amazing, um, amazing experience. And so now we're seeing more acupuncturists emerge who are able to build full practices. Most acupuncturists that I know are overbooked. The problem that I hear about here in Australia is that um, that's not the case so much and that's because here we have socialised medicine and in Australia you can go to the doctor and and not pay a cent, right? That's correct. Pretty much. Right? Yeah. Pretty much. You, you can go into any medical clinic here, Western Medical Clinic, and come out with your prescription or whatever you have and you are not out of pocket one cent, and that's not the case in the United States, which means that the general population is looking for alternatives and they're delighted by what they're finding in alternative medicine. Um, But here in Australia, the challenge for the practitioners here is to be really amazing. You're going to have to be really amazing. It's the same in France. In France... Chinese medicine is not covered by insurance, but anyone can practice acupuncture in France. It's just that if you're not a Western MD, the patient cannot claim the the um, claim, claim the cost of the treatment on their insurance, and so the practitioners in France have to be really they have to be crack at what they're doing. And I guess that's where we focus on, you know, the big gaps. In healthcare, you know, in Australia, there there's some things, there's some conditions that you know conventional medicine is really great at treating, mm. and then there's so many people who just, you know, they go from specialist to specialist, mm. from doctor to doctor, they get no answers, and that's where that's where we come in. They come and see us. They're like, you are my last, you know, last <laughs> I've, hope. I've seen everyone. Yes. Well, that's the problem because. Now, first of all, Western medicine is genius at emergencies. Mm, yeah. My whole family is alive because of Western medicine. My mother had breast cancer, very aggressive breast cancer and an, an, an emergency mastectomy. My father had an extra 25 years of life through a pacemaker. My brother's here after a, a very freak infection of the hip. They're All my, my close um, nuclear family are here courtesy of Western medicine. But what they don't understand is chronic degenerative disease. They Mm. don't understand why a person has Parkinson's or MS or rheumatoid arthritis or or lupus 
or chronic injury. They, they don't understand. They really don't understand it. That's the truth of it. And so our role in the profession, as I see it, the role of acupuncturists is to step into exactly what you just said, into that gap of chronic degenerative diseases, which Western medicine does not have a good track record with because we can, we really can pull people through them. It takes the divergent channels to do it, but we mm. can do it, all the eight extra channels, but we can definitely do it and I'm proving it every day and so are my students That's and I great. hope a lot more people will. It's so awesome, you know, it's, um, it's the kind of thing that we expected when we went to acupuncture school. Yes. And then somehow, you know, it gets diluted and there's all this talk about, oh, we have to prioritise what we teach the students, you know, there's not enough time to teach them everything properly and so that's where you kind of, you get taught TCM and then you have to learn the rest of it when, you've, when you're out and about. Mm in clinical practice and you either learn it or you don't depends on you know what you end up being influenced by and different seminars and things that you go to and I guess that's you know it sounds amazing that the a lot of the colleges now in the states have your books as required text because Mm -hmm. they're now you know it's not just a you know a one-hour lecture on oh this is what the eight extras are and here's a diagram of the divergent channels and the sinew channels and you know you can use them for actually we really don't know, but here they are. <laughs> and then that's it. Oh, yeah. That well that was definitely my um yeah, that was definitely my experience of being at school. But I mean that's it's 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 very different. Yeah, it's very different. But if it's you- also really great to hear you um, talking about treating everything exclusively with acupuncture because I think at this time as well, um more people are actually doing acupuncture and herbs. And I know that there was a tradition in the past where you would just specialize in one. Some people would do both, of course. Um, So I think it's also really great to hear this kind of information about just how much more developed our knowledge of acupuncture can be as well. Yes, and it comes back to the classical texts, you know, the Ling Shu and the Su Wen are full of references to these channels. Mm. So what I'm saying is I think we cannot say that we have a connection to the root of our discipline if we're not practising according to the original texts. Yeah, I think that's a really potent um, view for Chinese medicine at this time because there's just so much diversification and there's so many other disciplines that we can integrate you know and it's really important that we keep that foundation with us of like really knowing the base of that pyramid that we're working with right exactly and it's a big base it's a huge mammoth base you know you talk about an hour lecture on the eight extras you could if you wanted to you could practice the eight extras alone Really, you could specialise in the kinds of conditions that relate to the eight extras, you know, conditions that originated in the first cycle of seven and eight or the elderly or cancers and really Mm. found. I am a huge fan of the eight extras, but just listening to you talk, it just makes me want to delve deeper into the complement channels as well. 
Great. I'm I'm excited to hear that. <laughs> More power to you. <laughs> I'm sitting here. I don't know if you guys have got the same page open as me, but I'm sitting here typing up, you know, uh, like I'm in your class. Yeah, and can see it. <laughs> notes page. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned before about the pulse, and you've also written a book on mm. on pulse. What are some of the things that the typical practitioner doesn't even know that they don't know about pulse? Well, the main thing that people forget or are not trained in in pulses is the dynamic aspect of the pulses. In the old days, you wouldn't just put your fingers down to the moderate level and leave them still and wait for information and write it down and let go of the pulse. You would you would have your fingers in the pulse and you would use hydraulic actions between the fingers. You know, you'd press the spleen pulse down and release a little bit of pressure from the lungs or press the liver pulse down and release a little bit of pressure from the from the kidney in pulse. And you just see how they're talking to one another. And there's a, a really sophisticated conversation going in there at all three levels. And with dynamic pulse taking, what I'm calling or, or, or what my with what Dr. Yuen's calling dynamic pulse taking, which simply means deriving conclusions f- from moving the fingers in the pulse, right? So in other words, very active pulse taking. Um, that technique of pulse taking will give you a very clear idea of how organs are relating with one another. For example, it will tell you whether the spleen is communicating with the lungs. One of my favourite examples is, let's say you have a patient with uh, chronic bronchitis and every year they come back with this chronic bronchitis and, and you say, well, the lung pulse is very, very weak and um, the other pulses don't find too much problem with the rest of the pulses, but the lung pulse, you know, that's really their weak spot. And I've been tonifying lung chi for years in this person and every year they come back with chronic bronchitis. And why is it that I'm not getting anywhere with this? And the, the answer can be found in simple movements that are made by the fingers. So if you press down on the spleen pulse and you're a tiny, tiny bit and you release pressure from the lung pulse a little tiny, tiny bit, you should feel that the chi from the spleen pulse is moving up into the lung position. So the chi at the guan position is moving up into the sun position. If it's if the spleen pulse is nice and strong and the lung pulse is very weak, you might find that um, the you don't feel a movement of chi from the guan to the sun, from the spleen position up into the lung position. It might be that there's there's no movement there, and as soon as you press and press, well, and and as soon as you treat that connection between the spleen and the lung, so the spleen and the lungs meet at lung one, right? As soon as you meet that connection, you've open the doorway to the spleen being able to send its chi up into the lungs. So the person with chronic bronchitis might actually not have weak lungs 
It's just that their lungs are not being nourished from the middle jowl. It's only by using a pulse technique that allows you to see how the organs are communicating that you can make diagnoses that are very pertinent. And there may be other um, pulse methods that do that, but for me it's this um, dynamic method that I'm using that's very, very powerful. It makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And I'm getting the I'm getting the visual demonstration here of what fingers mm-hmm. doing doing what thing. So that's um, I'm a very visual person, so that helps me a lot. So I can't see from where I am, but I did just do that whole process on myself, and I'm pleased that my spleen chi does rise up into the lung position. I think I I must have had some tutors when I was learning pulse Claire and I did graduate from the same university but I did half my course at a different university in the beginning and I had some pulse teachers there that must have learned some of this because they taught me that in first year I didn't know other people didn't do that well that's a gift so any method I don't know if we're doing it on the same level I'm sure that I'm (laughs) only doing a portion of what you're doing but um, that's amazing well, any method that gives you that kind of reading is invaluable. I always felt like I kind of developed the way I read the pulse myself just because a lot of information does come into my fingers. Yes, and you're talking a little um, bit about intuition there, right, Fee? Yeah, yeah, and especially about the organ relationships. It's almost like I feel their emotional relationship with each other but I'm not sure what I'm doing with my fingers that means I can feel that. Well, it doesn't matter if you're getting, I, I just, if you're getting accurate information and you're acting on it and your results are great. It doesn't matter. It's, it's a valid method. Yeah. I think it's just one of the wonders of palpation, you know. You, you can have not ever learnt anything about palpation and still touch, use your hands and receive information from another person's body. Yes, very much yeah. so. Mm. Touch. Well, well this is really wonderful to hear about the dynamic pulse. I well, really actually, like hearing about that. You know, the dynamic pulse taking is a method of healing touch because what you often find, let's say you're pressing down on the spleen pulse to see if chi was coming up from the middle jowl into the upper jowl. Let's say you press down on the spleen pulse and you released a little bit from the lungs and instead of feeling that energy moving up or popping under that the finger in the lung position let's say you felt instead a thickening or a boundary pop up between your fingers right that's telling you that there's a diaphragmatic blockage now Mm. you can put the patient on the table and clear the diaphragmatic blockage like say reduce liver 14 for example or reduce liver 13 or or bladder 17 at the huato position, you could do all any of those three things and, and release the diaphragm. Or you could just keep pumping that up with your fingers and you would find that that diaphragmatic blockage would just vanish. So that's what you're talking about, Fee, is the, the healing touch. The dynamic pulse technique is also an actively healing form of palpation. Yes, I agree with you. Wow. I have a question for you. You know, I don't know if I've asked anybody else this question for many years, but 
It is what do you think is happening when people have a kind of aversion to certain pulse positions being pressed on? Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Yes, there's stagnation at that organ level and it needs to be freed or the patient is resistant to your uh, your actual pulse taking. They're trying to push you off or they may intuitively feel that you are starting to find something that they don't want you to see and they'll push you off. So the interaction between the pulse taker, the practitioner and the patient is ex- extremely intimate. And mm. that's one of the reasons I don't have a desk in my office, I have a sofa, is to try to get over that, to try to get over the, um, the personal defences, to get people to be much more relaxed when I'm taking their pulses. At what stage of the consult or of a first consult would you want to take the pulse? Oh, that depends entirely on the patient. So if I have a patient who's, well, first, I'm in a luxurious position where the patients come expecting, you know, they they expect to come out feeling entirely different before they arrive. I'm not having, I don't don't take anyone that's coerced and... um, I tend not, I tend, because I'm only taking referrals from existing patients, um, I find I don't have to do a lot of convincing. But sometimes when I'm, te- often actually, when I'm teaching in other countries, um, the the students have brought in patients who, you know, have no, no background knowledge of what they're about to experience. And... So I'll sit them down and I do have to bring them through a process of um, of dispensing with their their fears and their apprehension and their, their doubts right, and their scepticism. And so the way that I do that is simply by talking theory. I just explain to them what acupuncture is and what the aim is and, um, and I send them a tremendous... <laughs> a tremendous amount of love straight to REN17. I really send that in there and and allow that, you know, my open heart to encourage their heart to open. And once you have that, you're, it's a free roll from there. Yes, I'm agreeing all with all of that. And it's really it's really interesting that that thing that happens when certain pulse positions are pressed on where there's aversion, the type of aversion that I was thinking of when I asked the question is almost where someone says it kind of feels uh, weird, like they actually get a dirty sensation on some of the pulse locations under some of the fingers, but not under all of them. So, you've so I think that that would be maybe the, the stagnation in the organ. Mm. It could be. If you're finding it in the sun position on either side, it may be that you have some kind of um, entitic invasion going on, you know, that, you might be getting too close to finding um, some some kind of spiritual influence that doesn't belong there. Oh, that happens to me all the time. Mm. <laughs> I was just talking with Claire about, you know, we should do a whole episode on this about how we can respond to patients when that's what's happening. Yes, it's usually very clear because it'll send a sort of a, almost an electrical impulse up your index finger. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
We could diverge for a long time. We could, but we are running short on time. And so is there, do you have any parting words of wisdom or any other thing that you'd like to share with our listeners today? The parting words are if you're an acupuncturist and you're very frustrated that you're not having the results that you were hoping that you would have when you graduated from school, then entertain the possibility of using all of the channels of acupuncture. I mean the sinews, the lows, the divergence and the eight extras. Entertain that possibility, dive into them, explore them and then really like revel in the freedom that you bring to all your patients. They're the parting words. We have been blessed with the most extraordinary practice, acupuncture. We're blessed with it. It's, it's, I think it's one of the great wonders of the world. And if there were, if we could deem there to be nine, nine great wonders of the world, acupuncture would be right up there. We'd have to give it number eight because that's, you know, that's the Chinese number. Yeah, that's the number we want. <laughs> that's the number we want. Let, let it be the eighth wonder of the world. Absolutely. <laughs> we could make this episode 88 as one of the great wonders of the Heavenly Chi podcast. It's just non-linear and magical, but there it is and it works. I'll challenge you to do that. I would love to be number 88. Thank you. (laughs) But thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me in. And it's it's been such a joy to speak to you both. Oh, it's been so great to have you here and so inspiring to, well, to have you here in the flesh as well. Normally there's all three of us are are joined electronically only, but to to have you here in my clinic has been great. And thank you for, for coming on on our show and inspiring our audience to learn more. It's, it's a great pleasure and thanks for the virtual breakfast. <laughs> Which didn't arrive, by the way. <laughs> Not yet. No, it has been a real pleasure to have you here, Anne, and I feel like we only just started talking. So um, I'm going to be reading that red book. Oh, great. I'm glad. And I'll be back um, in a year. I'll be back in Australia in, in about a year. And we're going to tackle the low channels this time. This, this visit was the sinew channel, so we'll tackle the lows. So if you'd like to come back and like to talk about more, I'd love to come back in. That'd be great. Yeah, sounds That's great. great. And where can people find your teaching schedule? Like anywhere in the world, do you have a website for that? Yes, classicalacupuncture.com. There's, the schedule is on there. And in Australia, the books are available through China Books. And in other countries, it's available where acupuncture books are sold. <laughs> they are. They uh-huh. <laughs> there are more yep. books coming. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Okay. That's very exciting. All right. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in once again. It's always great to have you joining us for another Um, thought-provoking chat about acupuncture and Chinese medicine and all things yin and yang and uh, we look forward to you joining us again soon. Bye for now. Bye.